Good morning, Mission View Church. If you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, where we pick up starting a little bit later in verse 8. I received two gifts the last week of my time in Mississippi that I'll never forget. And they were from the same, the same person. They gave me a gift, and they, along with another friend, Matt, Matt was his name, Matt, and another friend, Dan, they went in together and they gave my son a gift. The gift they gave my son, because they always wanted him to take a piece of Mississippi with him, was a junior 20-gauge shotgun. Like a real deal. They gave that to Ethan, and it's, it's an incredible gun, and it's a lot of fun to shoot. And the, the gift that Matt gave me that I will never forget came in a blue gift bag, and it was, it was stapled shut. And there were a couple, couple holes poked in the top of the bag, and a, a, beautiful, a beautiful tag which said, To Brian, Love Matt. And so I walked into my office one day where I saw this gift bag, and it was just sitting on my desk, and as I opened up the bag, all of a sudden, everyone who was in the church heard me go like this. <coughs> there was a snake in the bag. I hate snakes. Matt knew I hated snakes. And Matt was a sick freak who put a snake in a gift bag and stapled it shut so that I would open up a gift bag of a live snake. Now, we're not talking Ohio snakes, people. We're talking Mississippi snakes. If they bite you, you're dead in two steps. There's no hope left. You're done. There is a potentially, I don't know for sure because I didn't look that long, there is potentially a poisonous snake sitting on my desk that could have killed me but for the grace of God. And I absolutely screamed. It was absolutely the worst gift I've ever received in my entire life. And what was so crazy about it was it was coupled with one of the greatest gifts that I've ever seen in a junior 20-gauge shotgun for my son. There's something about gifts that stick with you. Now, hopefully, most of you receive, like, the equivalent of the junior 20-gauge shotgun and not the equivalent of a potentially poisonous snake that could kill you when you receive a gift. The whole point of a gift, I believe, should be to give somebody something that they would love and cherish and value and honor, like the shotgun, not like the snake. Well, last week, as we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, what we saw was that Jesus has given us the greatest gift if we're a Christ follower. He's given us grace. And not only, not only has Christ given us grace, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you the Holy Spirit. And he's also equipped you with a gift or with gifts for his service. Now these are the themes that we ended on last week in Ephesians 4, and that's where we pick up today in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also, but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, the Apostle Paul here is quoting from Psalm 68. 
Now, the background of Psalm 68 is this. It's, it's a victory psalm. It's a psalm that was composed by David, and it's, it's in celebration of God's conquest of the city that would go on to become Jerusalem. It's a picture of God's triumph in the past, Psalm 68 is. It's a picture of God's triumph in the past. And this is the psalm that the Apostle Paul refers to here in Ephesians 4.8 when he quotes, When he had ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. There's one change, though, in what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4.8 versus what Psalm 68.18 says. Psalm 68.18 says when he ascended, he received gifts from men. And now Paul alludes to that psalm, but he changes. He changes the concept, and he changes the words. And it no longer means that the victorious king received gifts. What the Apostle Paul writes here is that the victorious king gave gifts. He gave gifts. This is the work of Christ our King. The one who's victorious. Here's what we see. That God loves us so much that when we rebelled against him, he still, he still wanted to redeem us. And so Christ, who is fully God, takes on, takes on a nature being fully man at the same time. The God-man, Jesus Christ. And he comes, he leaves heaven, and he comes and he walks this earth. He lives a perfect life. He ministers to people. And he comes with a purpose, not just to model godliness and holiness, but he comes with the purpose to pay the price for our sin that we could not pay. And so at the end of his ministry, Christ goes to the cross and he dies upon the cross because I've messed up and because you've messed up. Because I sin, and because you sin. Because I tell God, whether vocally or subconsciously, I tell God, I know your way, but I have a better way. And so I'm going to do things my way. And you say the same thing. And God still loves us, and so he comes to this world, and he dies on a cross. He's buried into the ground. Three days later, he raises again. This is, this is what we just celebrated earlier today. The, the picture. The picture's there. The picture of grace of, of people that said, God, I've received your gift in Christ. And, and, the, and then one of, the, one of the beautiful things about the way that we baptize here, it's, it's called immersion. One of the beautiful things of, of the way that we do this is the picture the picture of the tie-in of what the work of Christ has accomplished on our behalf. As we enter the water, we enter as, as the old self. As we go under the water, we're dying to ourselves. And how are we dying to ourselves? We're dying to ourselves by acknowledging our need for a Savior and our Lord Jesus. And, and we're, we're recognizing that, that He came and He died and He was buried. And when we come out of the water, we're a new creation. When we come out of the water, we, we demonstrate that Christ is not dead. That he was victorious. That he rose again three days later. 
That's the beauty of the picture of, of, the, of the way we baptize. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It was so exciting as we just as we celebrated the decisions in the new life that, that was just demonstrated. And we're so, so excited for those five of you who were baptized this morning. Thank you for allowing us to, to share, in, to share in, in that journey with you. Thank you. That was, that was awesome. And, and for those of you who, who baptized somebody, thank you for being invested in their life. Thank you for, for living out what the scriptures teach us to do. So we saw parents and we saw spouses. We saw a pastor. That's just, that is the beauty of the body of Christ. And that is just a beautiful picture. And it's a picture of the work that Christ has accomplished. And it's a picture of what he's done. So, so Christ resurrects from the dead, resurrects from the grave. And then he ascends to heaven. And it's, it's when he ascended to heaven that he gave us the command to go and to disciple people and to baptize them. And after, and after Christ goes back to heaven, he sends his Holy Spirit. Now, he promised the Holy Spirit, John 7, John 14, it's very clear, that Jesus promised once he ascended back to heaven, he would send his Spirit. And so we have that, we have that happening in Acts chapter 2. But, but here, our victorious King ascends to heaven, and he gives gifts to us. To his church. He gives us his spirit. And he gives us all. Tangible abilities. That we did not have. Apart. From our relationship. With God. This is something that, that's historically called spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And they are given to us. Christ followers. As a gift. From our king. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And so what we see here are a sampling of specific gifts that God has given his people, the church. This is not an exhaustive list. These are, these are some specific examples of how God equipped people within, people within the church to, to go about so that they could minister to the church. That's, that is the point of the spiritual gift. The point of the spiritual gift is to minister to the church. Now, I know we've been, we've been spending a lot of time lately hyping, hyping the equip class, and Pat just did an incredible job. And we know they will be online, I promise. We've had a couple problems. We are going to podcast the whole series. Don't miss it. 
But I don't, I don't want us to miss something here. Because what we're saying here, when we say that all spiritual gifts are for the church, what we're saying here is we're, we're, not, there's, we're not saying there's a discrepancy between what's been taught in the equipped class and what we're teaching today. We're not saying there's been a discrepancy between what's been presented in past sermons and what we're teaching today. We've got to think of the church as more than an hour on Sunday. So when we understand that spiritual gifts are given for the building up of the church, what's the role of the church? Well, the role of the church is to go and make disciples. If we go and we make disciples, that means we do that sometimes outside the walls of the church. Utilizing the gifts that God's given us in our workplace, in our neighborhood, at home. Utilizing that on Sunday morning at church. But it goes beyond that. And so when we say that the, the role of spiritual gifts are, are for the building up of the church, don't misunderstand and don't think we are talking exclusively a role and a function that must take place within the walls of the church. It's bigger than that. And that's our heart behind the equip class. That's our heart behind having people baptize people that they are directly invested in their lives. See, what we want you to understand is that being part of this beautiful, this beautiful bride of Christ, being part of this church is a commitment every day of the week. Every day of the week. And God has given some gifts that, that do primarily happen within the walls of the, of, the, of the church on Sunday mornings. But he's given a number of gifts that happen just as effectively and efficiently outside of the walls. Given specific gifts to minister. So that the body is elevated. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Your gift isn't about you. The gifts that God has given us are not about us. They're not to further our own agenda. They're not to further our own job placement. They're not to further us. They're to elevate the body, so that we can achieve unity and maturity. This is why a ministry should never be built around an individual. A ministry should never be built around an individual. Because what happens when a ministry is built around an individual, either they have a moral failing because they're not perfect and they will fall, they get burned out and they leave because everything is just being thrust on them, they are the focus, and they cannot possibly... There is a whole, there's a whole number of gifts that the Spirit of God gives to people. 
And when one ministry is elevated on just one or two gifts, all those other gifts aren't being utilized. And the ministry will not, it will not fully function as, it is, as it's designed to. And you will not achieve unity and maturity as was God's original design. Or what will happen is the leader will die. And nobody's been equipped, nobody's been trained, nobody's been allowed to utilize their gift. And the ministry dies because it was all built around an individual. See, the reason we have a gift is not for us, it's not for our own elevation, it's, it's not about us. The reason that we have a gift is for, the, is for the edification of the body of Christ, for the church, that we would attain maturity and unity. That we would all utilize the gift sets that God has given us. So that we would grow. And we would love. And we would be unified. So that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning. By craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We want to share some news with you as, uh, as a family. And um, I've, been thinking, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Um, so Ethan's got a little something to tell everybody, and you'll see it here in a second. Um, we, are, we are going to become a family of four, and uh, thank you. I, uh, I warned Brooke this could happen, and she just wouldn't leave me alone. I told her, honey, we can read poetry and hold hands sometimes, but... She just wouldn't have it, and so here we are, and we're, uh, we're very blessed, very blessed. Um, but I've been thinking a lot, just thinking a lot about, as, as we now have another kid on the way, just thinking a lot about growing up and, and just the whole process of, of watching our son, who's now 16 months, and the therapy that he's going to need because he likes to be the center of his mother's world, and it's, it'll be good for him. And just, just thinking of the awesome process that it's already been, just, just watching him grow, just, 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 just even in 16 months, and, and getting to do that, that again on, on this journey. I, I was thinking back um, to, to when I was a little kid, and, and our family would go to the beach, and, and when we would go to the beach, I would, I would go out into the ocean with my parents, and when the waves would knock me over, I got mad at my dad, and I blamed him, because he should have not let me be knocked over. He should have held me up. He should have stopped the waves from knocking me over. Now, we go to the ocean almost every summer, and I don't get knocked over by the waves anymore, because I'm bigger, I'm stronger. I'm, I'm a little more coordinated, not much, but I'm a little more coordinated than I was when I was five. So the waves don't knock me over anymore. 
This needs to happen to us in our spiritual development. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. See, the truth is this. There is some crazy, crazy, crazy doctrine out there. There are some nuts ideas of people who are dangerous enough to quote a verse or two out of context and to run with an idea that is foreign to scripture. And unfortunately, we put that on TV and that's a lot of people's thoughts and ideas of of Christianity. And so you have people who sit there and put their hand on a handkerchief and tell you for $57.29, if you would just sow that seed of $57.29, they will send you the handkerchief that if you wipe it across your forehead 14 times at 2.14 in the afternoon and then follow that up with another gift of $57.29, then not only will you be out of poverty, but all of your sickness will be healed as well. And there's just enough. There's just enough verses that are taken out of context that all of a sudden when people are desperate, it sounds somewhat appealing and it is dangerous. But it's out there. It's out there. Being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by every idea that creeps up, that, that, can be, that can be tied to a Bible verse and can sound appealing. That's why it's so important. That is why it is so important that we achieve maturity and unity within the church. Because here's the contrast to that. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Maturity is sound doctrine. Maturity is speaking the truth. In love. Maturity is becoming more like Christ. Maturity is us operating, though we are and though we are many, is us operating as though we are unified and though we are one. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There are three types of joints in our bodies. I'm not going to try the scientific names because I'll screw them up. They're immovable joints, joints in the skull and in our teeth. There are partially movable joints. An example of that is where the ribs connect to the sternum. And freely movable joints, our wrist, our elbow, our shoulder, and our hip. Might I suggest that for us as a church, to attain unity, to be unified, that we should emulate the joints in our body. We need to be immovable to some things. We need to be immovable in our commitment to the gospel. We need to be immovable to the truth of Scripture. We will not budge. Jesus is the only way. We will not be shaken. It doesn't matter whether it's popular stance or not. When the Bible is clear, we must stand. We need to be immovable in our commitment to the gospel. Let me suggest in matters where scripture isn't perfectly clear, we need to be partially movable. And we need to accept differing viewpoints of one another. You'll notice in our, in our membership, this is something that we've done. The church has taken stances on issues, but we understand that the Bible is not 100% clear. And, and we, believe, we believe on the stances that we've taken on an issue, but we also understand people can look at the same passages and arrive at different areas. And so what we've said is, to, in order to join the church, you, you need to agree to be immovable on these things. But these other things, we understand there's room for disagreement within the body of Christ, and that's perfectly okay. Let's make sure that's our attitude. And last, we need to be freely movable in matters of Christian liberties. It's okay for us to not all share the same convictions on matters. That's perfectly within our rights. It doesn't mean that one view is better than the other view. It's a liberty issue. And what that means is that each individual, in their heart, as they examine the scriptures, as they develop in their relationship with God, has the Holy Spirit. And if they are convicted about something, then great. Follow that conviction. But that doesn't mean that everybody will be equally convicted. And that's perfectly acceptable. And so, what unity looks like is not that we all have the same stance on Christian liberties. 
so that we disagree with one another. But we do so in love. We do so with the knowledge that that person also has the Spirit of God within their heart and within their life. And a different conclusion is not wrong. It's just different. So let's make sure that in matters of the gospel, we never waver. We never back down. And we never move. Not even slightly. Let's make sure that in areas where the scriptures aren't particularly clear, that we embrace one another's viewpoints so long as they're found and grounded in scripture. And in matters of Christian liberty, let's be willing to agree to disagree and do so in love. Nothing in this world is unified. That's why this is so important as the church. Because if we could operate in true unity, if we who are many could operate as one, utilizing all the various gifts that the Spirit of God has instilled within us, I believe the results would be this. We'd have to borrow that a lot more than three Sundays a year. We'd have to add community groups because people realize that there's a better way to live their lives. There's a better way to function, and that's within a community of people who have a desire to examine the Scriptures and love one another and be invested in one another's lives. believe it would be a calendar on our website that, that is just overflowing with opportunities to, to, to just minister to people. I believe it would be places of work where you start to see your co-workers here, your boss, or where just the company morale improves greatly because you are, you're there with a purpose, and your purpose is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yes, it's to make money. Yes, it's to be successful in your career. But it's to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To be His love. And I believe our neighborhoods, I hope, will see a lot more houses for sale because mom and dad have split up. God has given us each, who are Christ's followers, a gift. What we need to do with that gift is to use it in harmony with the other gifts 
and build up something that is unified, that points to Christ, and that is known for its love. And that starts with us. So if you're a child, if you're a child spiritually, I'm going to challenge you, grow up. Grow up. Get plugged into a relationship. Get invest. Invest in somebody who will invest in you. If you're here and you're not using your gift and you're just letting it go to waste, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to do something. It doesn't have to be within these walls, but you better do something to utilize the gift that God's given you. And together, let's make sure we don't move on the gospel. We're willing to move when the, when the scriptures aren't clear. And we don't divide over liberties. But we agree to disagree. That we may be one. God, pray that you'd help us. Pray that you would help us. To use the gifts that you've given us. To, to not be content. But God, to always be seeking opportunities to serve you. God, I pray that we would continually grow. Not be content to be children and God, just sucked into any and every doctrine. God, I pray that we would operate as one. That the church would know us by our love. That the world would know us by our love. And that we would point people to your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.